Well, it is great being here again this morning with you. Thank you all for coming as well. Just want to highlight a few things for you. So, yes, if you uh, haven't filled out one of those uh, surveys or if you want a hard copy of them, uh, we have made copies for you. It would be really helpful uh, for me to just understand where this body is at, what you're going through, um, and it's important to hear from you. So sometimes we think, well, why would he want to hear from me? I want to hear from you. Uh, so it's very important. Uh, I've got about 45 of them back of the big uh, survey ones and of the small ones. We have those as well. Those small ones take just a few minutes to fill out and I would encourage you to do that as well in there. So last Sunday we started uh, the Lord's Prayer, working through that. And uh, this morning in your package you were given, uh, there's a little three-by-five card in there. Everybody got a, one of those little cards? We want everybody to have one of those little cards. These lights are so bright, you all have halos around your heads there. So, Does everybody get a little three-by-five card? Okay, so here's what I want you to do with that three-by-five card. In front of you, in the pockets, there's pens or pencils. I would encourage you to write down your prayer for this church body over the next year, okay? So I would encourage you to take this card. Now, some of you might be able to do that right away. And some of you might want to take that home and think about it. And you might write on both sides of this card, and you might take another card and write it further, and that's fine. But I would encourage you to write down your prayer for this church. What would you like to see God do with this body over the next year. And I would encourage you to fill that out. Don't put your name on it, okay? Don't put your name on it. And what we're going to do is take your prayers and we're going to make a prayer booklet out of it. And then we're going to start making change, okay? And we will pray through those prayers throughout the year Corporately, each one of you will get a prayer booklet to take home and pray. My encouragement would be to pray those prayers. We won't know who wrote them. You'll know which ones you wrote. They won't be put in any order fashion. But you're going to see where your brothers and sisters are and the heart of what they want to see God do in the next year. And so I would really encourage you to do that. If you do that while I'm preaching, uh, delivering God's word this morning, that's fine. Um, and all ages can do this, okay? So we've, in past churches, I've had some 10-year-olds write some powerful prayers, okay? So write your prayer. Make it so that we can at least type it out properly, uh, so we can read it. So make it so you can read it. Uh, I have to work at that because my handwriting, it can get really sloppy and it looks like a doctor's writing. Sorry, Dr. Greg, wherever you are. You're not sure how to make that out. But uh, I would encourage you to write it in the foyer. There's a little table with a basket. If you've written that out, I would encourage you to put that in there. 
And over the next couple Sundays, I would encourage you to do that. So please do that. And we have till the end of the month. So I've given you lots of time to take this card. And if you uh, lose the card, that's fine. Take a piece of paper, write out your prayer, and put it in the basket, okay? So we can put that together. And uh, we can work through that. We've been going on the Lord's Prayer, and we want to hear from you what your heart's desires are for the Lord as we get going. You're going to want to come on Thursday. Now, one of the things I'm learning uh, this week, I've had the privilege of visiting uh, 13 different families or individuals, and one thing I'm learning is that maybe we start a little bit earlier than 7. But I made that arrangement before I started knowing the crowd, um, and we have lots of little ones that like to get to bed, and some of us older ones that like to get to bed at a half-decent time. But I would encourage you to come on Thursday. On Thursday, I want to share a little bit about myself. I want to like to share uh, a little bit about what does a transitional pastor do, okay, and what the next year might look like. Uh, it won't be really specific, uh, but when we get going here, and every month we'll be giving you updates. And so in October, from all your questionnaires that I've given to you, and I know that some of you might be tired of doing that because I found out that you were doing questionnaires before you got mine. But if you can do that, I'm going to give you a report card of where you're at and where we're going to be working and going over the next year. And so uh, come on Thursday. I would encourage you for that. Now, my class that I'm going to be doing on Hub is going to be different than what Paul had been doing. Okay? So I'll tell you that right now. I'll also encourage you to participate in it. What I want to do, and some of you have done this. Uh, some of you have done this in your workforce, but some of us have done this in the church body as well, because when I was talking with Paul, he mentioned that many, many years ago he had done this. But what I want us to do is walk through Scripture. We've been all uniquely and wonderfully made. So who are we? How has God made me? What makes me tick and what ticks me off? And there's a statement that I run into when I was in pastorate earlier in my life and wrestled with it and am I at now? And that is, while I'm spiritually mature, so I can say whatever comes to my mind, and it's not my problem, it's other people's. And so we're going to be talking about who am I, how's God made me, and we're going to be taking a look at that as from spiritual maturity to emotional maturity. So we're going to talk about emotional intelligence as well because Jesus really modeled that for us. And then I would encourage from there we're going to be going into spiritual gifts. So it all flows together. Now when I've done this in other churches, at first few are apprehensive, but then they hear what's going on and I end up having to do it again a second time around. And so it's really, really uh, I would encourage you to sign up for that. I know that you will enjoy it. It helps in your marriages. It helps in your relationships. It helps with your children. It helps with your parents. 
It'll just help you as a church body as well. Last week, Sunday, you got a little handout, a full page on the Lord's Prayer. And this Sunday, you have another one. And I would encourage you to work through that with your family. It gives you some exercises. It gives you some things to just meditate on, get into God's Word, dig into it. And I would encourage you to go through that. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 6. Jim did have me concerned there for a bit. But it worked all just fine. Matthew chapter 6. In 1994, Disney released a movie called Iron's Will. Anybody seen that movie, Iron Will? One, two, oh, okay, we got a few. All right. It's, so let me tell you about the movie real quickly. It's a story about a teenager who's na- named Will Stoneman. And he enters a marathon dog sled race from Winnipeg, Canada to St. Paul, Minnesota. And I was born just south of St. Paul, Minnesota, about 45 minutes. And Will's father had just died. And he left the family in a financial crisis. And so Will enters this race to save his family. And he gets his nickname, Iron Will, because he's just not going to quit. As he battles the winter elements, he travels 522 miles of terrain with his dog sled. So that's quite an an achievement. People who did not believe he could finish the race, and there was lots of furious competitors. They did lots of different things as they would meet different competitors on the way, cutting them off. Sometimes the dogs get entangled up. And Iron Will is the play on his name because Will Stoneman demonstrates that he has an iron will by persevering and finishing the race. I think, when I was thinking about this movie, I think Iron Will describes the way many people think about God's will. When we think of God's will, we we think of it as Iron Will. People imagine that God's will is like iron, that it's inflexible, it's unbending. And so when many people think about God's will, they often think about it with resonation. It is what it is. There's nothing we can do about it. The reason I make that statement is because well-meaning friends will say this, and maybe some have said it to you, maybe you have said it as well. I guess it was God's will. Sometimes that's been said to a grieving wife at her husband's funeral after he battled cancer. I guess it's God's will 
gets sometimes said to a college student who's gritting his teeth or she's gritting her teeth. It must be God's will when the the bride-to-be breaks up with them or the groom. It's the troubled married couple throwing up their hands in desperation saying, it must be God's will because they can't see their way through problems and issues. We figure if anyone has an iron will, it must be God. However, the Bible clearly teaches that God's will is often frustrated. If you like taking notes, you might want to write some of that down. If you have questions, I would encourage you to ask me. Or if you disagree, I would encourage you to let me know. But the Bible clearly teaches that God's will is often frustrated. Not that God lacks the power to fulfill his will. That's not what I'm saying. But that God often chooses to work out his purposes in a way that respects the will of human beings, you and I. That is why God did not snuff out Adam and Eve to start all over after they rebelled against God. You see, although God is certainly powerful enough to overrule human freedom at any moment, God chooses not to, preferring instead to allow us to have a measure of freedom and at the same time working out his plan despite our stubborn resistance to his will. So let me give you an example of that. Everybody asked when I was a teenager, are you going to be like your dad? My dad was a pastor missionary. I said, absolutely not. I'm not going to be like my dad. Oh, you should be like your dad. Nope, not going to be like my dad. You won't believe it, but I did not like public speaking. I did not like standing in front of people. Uh, it didn't, that wasn't me. Uh, sometimes I didn't get my sentences correct. So just, no, I'm not going to be like that. God had a different plan. So through my teenagehood, Dad would often volunteer me to do VBSs. And so he got me going all over uh, Alberta. Oh, yeah, my son could do that for you. And I went up to northern Saskatchewan. I went here, went there. Then I got married. And I said, no, Lord, I can take care of this myself. Not going to get into ministry. God started moving. We got accepted to go to a school again. Undergraduate. We went and looked at the campus. And I said, no. Frustrating God's will. God started moving again. And finally... I yielded myself and said, yes, okay, Lord, I'll do it. We can frustrate God's will. We can frustrate his plan. Last Sunday, 
we started looking at the Lord's Prayer. When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And we saw last week that Jesus taught his followers the Lord's Prayer to give them a model, okay, a prayer template for authentic communication with God. In fact, he said, and we talked about it, Abba, Father. Today we come to that part of the Lord's Prayer that deals with the will of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I want us to break that down this morning. I want us to look at what part, what this part means to us. And then we're going to talk about three affirmations we make when we pray this prayer. Because we talked about that last Sunday too. Sometimes we get into the Lord's Prayer and we just rattle it off. And we don't even think about the words that we're saying. And so I want us to take a look at three affirmations when we pray this prayer. So if you have your Bibles, if you haven't already gone to Matthew chapter 6, 10, or if you've got you version on your phone, pull that up. What does it mean? In this part of the Lord's Prayer, we're moving from adoration to affirmation. Okay, so we're moving from adoration to affirmation. We could sum up the phrase, hallowed be your name, as adoration. Then we come to this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done, and we move into affirmation. Now I'm going to get deep here. So follow along if you can, and I know you will be able to. If you have any questions, write them down or ask me. Now really, God's kingdom and God's will are talking about the same thing, but from two slightly different perspectives, okay? So God's kingdom and God's will are talking about the same thing, but from two slightly different perspectives. Well, we don't use the word kingdom in our vocabulary anymore. Very, very little. And when we do, we usually talk about places like the kingdom of Nepal or the United Kingdom of England or the Magic Kingdom when we're talking with our kids. In each of those cases, a kingdom is a specific geographic place defined by its borders. Therefore, the way we use kingdom in, in the English, every kingdom would have an address. Because in English, it refers to a place. However, in the Greek, the word kingdom... In the Bible, puts the emphasis on rule or reign. Rule or reign of the king rather 
than on the place that the king exercises that reign. In fact, some Bible translations that you may have translate the Greek phrase kingdom of God as the reign of God. You might have that. Or the rule of God to bring out this idea. Okay? Now Jesus talked a lot about God's kingdom or God's reign. His first recorded sermon is described in the Bible as repent for God's kingdom has come near. And you'll find that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He taught stories that we call them parables. And they're designed to illustrate what God's kingdom was like. The Bible calls the Christian message about Jesus' death and resurrection the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus believed and taught that through his life and death, Christ's reign had descended upon the earth. That somehow his death and resurrection opened the door to God's kingdom to his people. Yet, he also taught that God's kingdom would not come with power and authority until his second coming at the end of age. So you might picture it this way. God's kingdom this way. In Jesus' first coming, he established God's kingdom. Okay? By Jesus coming to this earth, he established God's kingdom. He opened the doors to God's kingdom, inviting people to come through those doors by trusting in his death and resurrection. And he warned us that unless we are born again by faith in him, we can't come through those doors. And so God's kingdom reign is established in some way through Jesus' first coming. As God's future kingdom reign somehow invaded the present. Yet it's only when Jesus comes again at the end of the age when God's kingdom reign will be made complete in power. Okay? Only then will God's kingdom reign be established on earth as it is in heaven in the sense of abolishing evil and vindicating good. Only then, with an ultimate sense of accountability, be brought on all people as every human being stands before the Creator and the Scripture tells us that we'll be on our knees and we'll give an account, every single one of us. And it's in this in-between, the first coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ that the church age is where we're at right now. Okay, so we're in that in-between. God has come. He's established his kingdom, his reign. 
but it hasn't come to a climax yet. It hasn't come to its highest point until he returns. And therefore, we live in a time of tension between establishing the establishment of God's kingdom and his consummation of that kingdom. And some Bible scholars, when I worked through this and commentators, they call this tension between the already aspect of God's reign and the not yet. And so you'll hear people talk this way. If you go on to Bible school, you would have heard this. The already and the not yet. That tension that we're in. Through Jesus, our sins are already forgiven. Yet, because of the not yet, we still struggle with the power of sin in our lives. We still fall. We still fail. And through Jesus, our salvation is already guaranteed. We are promised complete healing and restoration when Jesus Christ comes again. But because of the not yet, our bodies still get sick and we struggle with doubts and fears. Already the powers of evil and darkness have been defeated by Jesus. We know the battle's been won. Yet because of the not yet, there's still evil and darkness in our world. And we see it all around us. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we are not asking for the already part. Okay? We're not asking for the ready part. But we are looking forward to the not yet part. The not yet. Now God's kingdom and God's will Look at this same reality, as I said, from two different aspects, perspectives. Think of it as God's kingdom, as the big picture perspective. God's kingdom, the big picture, like a telescope looking at galaxies. God's kingdom is God's saving reign over all his creation. There it is, the big picture. And when you look at this phrase, God's kingdom, as the whole picture, the entire galaxies from the perspective of Christ's work being applied and God's plan being fulfilled. And think of God's will as this, at the same, looking at a smaller perspective, like a microscope. God's will is God's saving reign in the specific circumstances of our life. Okay? God's will. God's will is God's kingdom applied to all circumstances, like a relationship, an individual, a particular community. And so when you're writing down your prayers for this church body over the next year, that's what, you're, that's what you're asking for. God, your will be done. We seek to live our lives by the values of God's reign. 
even though we still live in occupied territory. The not yet. God has yet to return. We are here. As followers of Jesus, our ultimate allegiance to God's reign as we seek to live kingdom values in our world today. I want us to understand that peace. It's important to understand your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay? The already, the not yet. That tension that we live in. It's important when we go through that. It's something I didn't learn when I went through it and went to the Christian school, learned the Lord's Prayer. We said it. We, we said it as fast as we could. The words did not mean these things to me. But that's what it's telling us. Now here's the three affirmations that we make as we go through. And let's begin by thinking about the life of Jesus. Last Sunday we learned that the Lord's Prayer emerged out of Jesus' own prayer life. The disciples seen something out of Jesus, and they said, teach us how to pray like that. And when I think about praying, thy will be done, I think about Jesus' experience in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his execution. Let me just break that down for you. Jesus went to this private place to pray, to wait for his betrayer, his executioner, to come. And as he waited, he spent an agonizing night in prayer. And he asked three of his closest friends to watch and pray with him. But they couldn't stay awake. They constantly fell asleep. And as Jesus prayed... According to Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed this. My father, if it is possible, make this cup be taken from me. Not as I will, but your will. What we find here is the conflict between Jesus' human will because he was 100% man and 100% God, okay? But we find this conflict between Jesus' will, his human will, and God the Father's will. And Jesus knows what lies ahead of him. He's God. He knows what lies ahead of him. The suffering, the pain, the isolation from his friends and from his God. You see, Jesus' death is not merely the death of a martyr, as some people will say, who's dying for a cause. That's not Jesus' death. The death of Jesus is about to die is a unique kind of death, a death where he dies as our substitution, taking upon him all the consequences for our failures, where we messed up. And the cup he speaks about is the cup of God's wrath. And this is a common 
language in the Old Testament. It's a common Old Testament phrase. Because Jesus knows he's about to experience judgment of God on the sinfulness of humanity in his death. Okay? He knows by taking upon himself our sins that he's going to face God's judgment. He knows he's about to forsake, be forsaken by his friends and his family. He's about to undergo terrible physical suffering at the hands of professional Roman executioners, and they were professionals. They lined their roads with crucifixions. They lit the crucifixions to light the roads. They knew what they were doing. And he knows that he's about to be totally alienated from God as he experiences the full weight of God's judgment against human sinfulness. And therefore he cries out to his father for another way. Is it just me or is it getting in and out? In and out. Like I'm loud and then I'm quiet. And I'm thinking, I still got time. They're not cutting me off yet. No, it's probably mine. There we go. And so he cries out to his father for another way. Some other method of accomplishing the same goal. Some other way to offer forgiveness. Restoration for human race. There's got to be another way. And yet he concludes this, not as I will, but as you will. The Bible tells us that he had that conversation three times with God. And each time expressing his agony, and yet each time concluding with surrender to the will of Father. Here's, in the real sense, what Jesus was praying Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even though the will of God came at a great personal cost to himself. That's what he was praying. And from this event, we find the first affirmation when we pray this prayer that we make, and that is this. When we pray for God's kingdom, reign to come we're affirming our desire to follow jesus example now that's powerful so when you say this prayer thy kingdom come thy will be done you're affirming that your desire to follow jesus example now none of us will ever face the kind of situation that jesus faced not in Canada. Not under where we're at in our first world country. Jesus' suffering and death was once and for all. It was a once and for all action that forever threw open the doors of forgiveness and restoration with the Father. How are you even, 
However, even though through Jesus' suffering and death is once and for all unrepeated event, the pattern of life he demonstrated on his journey on the cross is lifted up in the Bible as an example for you and I to live and to follow. So here it is. A Christian, according to the Bible, is a follower of Jesus. Someone who trusts in the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection. Someone who follows Jesus in the journey of life. Jesus said that those to follow him, we must make give up our own cross. Giving up our own life for his sake. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 tells us that whoever wants to be a Christian must walk as Jesus walked. Part of Jesus' journey to the cross was his cry, not as I will, but as you will. And so when you and I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are saying the same thing to God that Jesus said in the garden. We're following his same example. We're saying, my life is not my own. I belong to a heavenly father who loves me. And that's powerful in our world today. We have people that are living in desperation. That are seeking meaning. That are trying to find out who they are. follower of Christ understands and knows that I belong to a heavenly father who loves me. And friends will struggle to understand why we raise the kids the way we do. They will struggle with that. Why we choose to invest as much of our monies as possible into God's kingdom rather than saving it for retirement. People will struggle with that. What are you doing? And this is because as followers of Jesus, our lives are not our own. But we pray like our master, not as I will, but as you will. Now, turn with me, if you will, real quickly to 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and I want us to take a look at two verses because they play an important piece in our life. Chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the assurance we have in approaching God. That if we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we ask of him. Now here's how this works. The Apostle John tells us that we have a certain kind of freedom, a boldness in approaching God. And in this confidence relates to our prayer life. We have whatever we want when we approach God as long 
And this is key. As long as our request is in harmony with God's will. Remember, we define God's will as God's saving reign. That circumstance, that might be a job change, and we pray God's will upon it. If you will, God. A relationship with another person. A sickness. And when John says we know God hears us when we pray according to the will of God, he means that we know God gives us what we ask for. The word here in this passage means to respond positively. So John is not implying that God doesn't hear our prayers if we ask for things outside of God's will. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying God responds positively to our requests only when those requests align with God's will. We can absolutely be sure we get what we want from God when we pray according to the will of God. And that's deep. And much more could be said on that. We have our will. We have our desires. But we're asking for God's will to be done. And it may not be God's will. The second affirmation when we pray this prayer We're affirming our trust in God to answer our requests appropriately. Okay? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we're trusting God will answer our requests appropriately. There's three possible answers that God can give. God can say yes and we grant the requests. He can say no and not grant the request. Or he can say not now. And hold back from granting the request until later. This is why we're going through the Lord's Prayer. Because Todd has a will. And Todd likes to be in control. And Todd wants things to happen fast. Todd doesn't work very good waiting. But Todd's will is not God's will. And you experience that in your life. And God's will is better than our will. He sees the big picture. He knows what's down the road in every aspect of our life. The psalm tells us that our days of our life are laid out before him before we were even born. Just think of that. He knows everything about you and everything that's going to happen before you were even born. We don't know that. Every request we make of God is answered in one of these three ways. Whether it's a request for healing, 
And I've been asked to go at different times to pray and, and take the elders with me to pray for healing. But they're not healed. Or what they thought they should be healed of. And there's, out, there's many out there that will tell you, oh, they had a lack of faith. Or there will be some out there that will say they have sin. The important piece is that we pray that God's will be done. A request for a job promotion. A request for a friend to come to know the Lord. Maybe you've been praying for a very, very long time for a friend to come to know the Lord. Why haven't they come to know the Lord? God, what's going on? When we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, we're saying, God, I trust you and I trust how you choose to answer all my requests. It's a powerful thing when we pray that prayer. We are saying, God, this is what I want, what I think I need for this situation, but I trust you and I believe you see the situation far more clearly than I do. There are no unanswered prayers for God's children. But sometimes the answer is no or not yet. There are some promises that the Bible seems to guarantee God will give us what we want if we just pray hard enough with enough faith and we take those verses and we take them totally out of context and we manipulate them and we move them. When we read those promises, we always need to remember the qualification from 1 John chapter 5 that we just read, verses 14 and 15. That God will only grant the requests if it's in accordance with his will. How does that all work? How does that move? Others have struggled with the issue of whether or not a request to God really makes a difference in what God does. I come from that background. After all, if God already has a plan, what's the point of me asking God to heal someone or to provide financially for a need or to send somebody over there to share the gospel with them? God has not God already decided what he's going to do? So what's the point of me even asking? There's that iron will. What's the point of me even going to God? If he already knows. Some of us, some have even suggested, pardon me, that the only purpose of prayer is to align our will with God's will, not to ask God to intervene. Yet the Bible clearly teaches that our prayers do influence the outcome of events. I don't exactly understand how God's plan and our prayers fit together, but they do influence. 
God wanted to wipe out the Israelites so many times. Moses would say, pray like crazy. Don't wipe them out. Don't do it. Abraham, same thing. We have lots of different examples. Regardless of how we deal with this mystery, the fact remains when we pray for God's kingdom reign, we are affirming that we trust God to answer appropriately according to his will. There's one more affirmation we make when we pray the Lord's Prayer. I want us to go to Revelations. Revelations chapter 11, if you will. Revelations chapter 11, verse 15. It says this, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Remember God's kingdom reign is already, the already and not yet, that tension between the establishment of God's kingdom through Christ's first coming And he's coming back the second time. It is to the not yet part of God's kingdom reign that this book of Revelations looks forward to. To that time when the governments of this world give way to the rule and the reign of God and of Jesus. And at that point, God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. God's will will be done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is the third affirmation that we make. We're affirming our confidence in the future, the final stage of God's plan. At times, if you were to look at Colleen in my life, it seems like a random sequence of events that lack an overall plan or purpose. What in the world are you doing? And life, to many of us, seems like a maze at times with unexpected twists, turns along the way that don't make sense. Why is life leading us in the opposite direction of where we think we need to go? We believe we need to go here. Why am I not going there, God? Corporately, as a church, we believe we need to go here. Why are we not going there? What's happening, God? We believe that we need to have an associate. Why is it not happening? Why does the door that would seem most glorifying to God seem to always be closed? God, you know this would be powerful for you in my life, in our marriage, in our family. Why is this door closed? And in those times of doubt and uncertainty to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're affirming that we are confident that God's plan will be completed. 
Now, who would have ever thought that we're making those three affirmations when we pray that kingdom come, that will be done? But that's what we're saying. We all have questions. I have a bunch of them that I would like to ask God when I get to heaven. And I don't have the answers to these questions. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough to figure them out. But I have questions. And until then, I pray this. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's my prayer for you before I even got here. As I come to work with you as a transitional pastor, I do not know what God's will is. I do not know his plan. I don't know the direction that he would have you go as a body. But I affirm my confidence in the future final plan of God. The reformer Martin Luther once said this, that if most Christians really understood what they were saying when they prayed this part of the Lord's Prayer, they would shudder with fear. Let me just repeat that. Martin Luther once said this, that if most Christians really understood what they were saying when they prayed this part of the Lord's Prayer, they would shudder with fear. I'm not sure they would shudder with fear, but I am sure it would help us make sense out of our lives. When we pray for God's reign, kingdom reign, we're making these three affirmations. When we ask for God to direct our life, we're making three affirmations. We're affirming our trust in God to answer the quests appropriately. We're affirming our confidence in God's future final plan. And we're saying, God, I want to follow what you want. Not my will, but your will. That's what we're saying when we dive into this prayer. When we open up this prayer. When we teach our kids this prayer. Let me just pray as we conclude here. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us a model to follow. And Lord, as we step out, as we pray this prayer that you taught and gave the disciples as a model, may we model that and use that in our life. Lord, thank you for being our Savior, for being our provider, for being our sustainer. Pray us these things in your name. Amen.